Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, attaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted in, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were not serving that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help as we come this morning to consider things that even the angels of heaven desire to hear about, desire to see. What a privilege we have to come and consider these words that you have given us, this story that you have told us, the treasure of the truth about you and about what Jesus has done for us. In many ways, this task is too much for us. And so we come dependent. We come asking for help, for understanding, and for change. We ask for you to keep your promise that your spirit would be present and active as we consider your word. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. My dad gave me an Amazon gift card for my birthday this year, which was nice. It's a great gift. Uh, the problem is he sent the gift by email, and he sent it to jonathan at cpchurch.com. Uh, my email is jonathan at cptchurch.com, and it turns out there's a Centerpoint Church in New Jersey with a staff member named Jonathan, and that was his address, and so he got my gift, thought it was from his parents, and redeemed my Amazon gift card. <laughs> you ever received someone else's mail? Have you ever read a message that wasn't intended for you? 
Honestly, that is what it can be like to read the Bible sometimes. Think about what we just read. Think about this letter, the letter uh, from Peter to the churches, a letter that was written thousands of years ago to people who lived in five Roman provinces in what is modern-day Turkey. This is someone else's mail. This doesn't seem to be a letter that is for us, a message intended for us. So why would we take time this morning and over the next few weeks and read this letter, reflect on this message? Why would we do that if this isn't mail for us? Well, maybe if you've grown up around the church, you say, no, this, this is a letter for us. This is a message for us. We're not trying to redeem someone else's gift card. This is a gift to us because this is inspired scripture. It is God's word to us. Or, hey, look, Peter calls himself an apostle, which means that he has authority from Jesus to speak to us. And all of that is true. And I agree with all of that. It's relevant. It's good. It's right. But there's more. There's a further reason why we should devote ourselves to this letter. And that's because this letter is indeed addressed to us. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. That's us, Center Point Church. That is you, If you are in Jesus, and if you're not a Christian, that is a great, succinct description of what a Christian is, an elect exile. That's why this letter is for us, because that's who we are. So let's consider this address line. Let's consider, in two parts, this identity of being elect exiles. This is a letter for us. This is a message for us. Because we are elect, and because we're exiles. So first of all, elect. To be elect is to be chosen. And Peter defines and describes what it means to be chosen by the chooser. The one who does the electing. So he says, verse 1, you are elect, you are chosen. Verse 2, according to God. And we as Christians believe and confess that God is both one and three. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And a lot of philosophical and theological reflection and words and articles and books have grown up around trying to understand that, that God is one and three, trying to explain that. And I'm not going to dump that on you this morning. But I want you to notice that all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of God is involved in what it means for us to be chosen. Let's start with the Son, the end of the list in verse 2. Peter says, you are chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. And listen, I tried really hard to get us away from the book of Exodus. But once again, the New Testament will not let us get away from Exodus. 
because the connection between obedience and sprinkling with blood comes from that book. It comes from chapter 24, an episode in Exodus that we haven't talked about yet. The people of God, the nation of Israel, they meet God at a mountain named Sinai. And there God gives to them His law, His instructions for how He wants them to live as His people in the place that He is giving to them. And in the middle of that process, God has Moses perform a ritual where he takes the blood of a sacrificed animal and he sprinkles it on the altar, which represents God in his presence, and then he sprinkles it on the people. And then he takes the laws that God has given to him, he reads them out loud, and the people say, we will be obedient. We will do all that God has told us to do. Obedience and sprinkling. And this ceremony defined the relationship between God and His people. This was a covenant-making ceremony. Now when you hear covenant, don't hear cold business contract. Hear passionate Committed devotion. This is a marriage. God is saying to his people in this ritual, I am marrying you. I am yours. You are mine. And the people respond by saying, yes, we are yours. And the blood communicates the seriousness of this commitment. It says, we will bleed if we betray this relationship. Peter says, what it means to be chosen is that you are chosen for that. You are chosen to belong to God in this profound, transformative relationship. Because Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's will. Jesus perfectly kept the law of God. He is God's will embodied to be obeyed. And even more than that, Jesus is the final, ultimate sacrifice. And so His blood speaks of God's deep, abiding love for His people. And not only that, his blood covers our betrayal, covers our failure and our sin so that we can deeply and transformatively be in relationship to God. That's what we are chosen for. And that is confirmed by the second item in the list, the sanctification of the Spirit. To be sanctified is to be made holy. Peter says you are chosen to be brought in connection to the presence of the Holy God so that you become like Him. Now, how is all of that possible? How is sanctification, obedience, sprinkling, how is that possible? possible for us to enter a transformative relationship with God like this. How is that possible? Well, it's the first item in the list. 
Peter says, you are elect, you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father. Understand in Scripture, knowledge isn't cognitively grasping a set of facts. Knowledge is Adam knew his wife and she had a baby. The reason that you can have sanctification, obedience, sprinkling, is because of the active, decisive pursuit of God. You can enter this relationship because He desires you. He desires, He wants us and has come after us with the gift of the Spirit and the Son. To be elect is to be desired. It is to be wanted. It is to have God pursue us and not only desire us, but do everything that is necessary to make us His own. That's why we need 1 Peter. This is a message for us that tells us what it means to be chosen. And it is a message that we need to hear often, again and again. And it is a message that speaks to the deepest longing of the human heart. Don't you want to be wanted? Don't you long to be desired? Think about how powerful the like button on Facebook has become for us. What is that? That is a very superficial attempt to feed our hunger to be wanted. The like button on Facebook is a cheap imitation of election where God sends His Spirit gives his son to enact the message, I am yours, and you are mine. Not because you're beautiful, not because you're interesting, not because you're smart, not because you're moral, but because I desire you. And while that certainly compellingly speaks to a general human need, Peter in this letter takes it and applies it to a very specific problem. The problem of exile. And so secondly, this letter is for us because we, we are elect because we're chosen and it reminds us of what that means, but it is also a letter for us because we are we are exiles. <clears throat> Peter writes to those who belong to God, but don't quite belong where they are. They belong to God, but don't quite belong where they are. They are treated as outsiders. They are treated as strange and, and suspicious. They are pressured to comply with their culture's standards of what is normal. 
They're around the game, they see the game, but they are not invited into the game unless they will agree to play by the rules. And we'll see this as we read this letter. It's very clear that it is written to those who are experiencing the pain of being outsiders and the pressure to become insiders according to the standards of the dominant society around them. And we share that situation. We, as Christians, share that situation. Not because our circumstances are exactly the same. We don't live under the Roman Empire. Most of us will not suffer to the degree that the original readers of Peter's letter suffered. But still... We share their situation because we share what made them strange. We share what made them exiles. And what is that? What made them strange? What what made them exiles? Well, the the biblical uh, uh, commentators who love to have debates about these sort of things, some of them say, uh, well, they were exiles because they were of Jewish descent. And they had participated in all the dispersions that had happened to the Jewish people and had now converted to Christianity. And that's why Peter calls them exiles. And, And some other commentators say, no, they're Christians who lived in one place and then had to flee that place because of persecution and are now living in these other places and they're away from home. And that's why Peter calls them exiles. And all of those are legitimate historical speculations, but they are just that. They are speculations. That's not a question that we might, that we probably will ever be able to clearly positively answer, but here's what is most important for us reading this book. Not their historical circumstance, but in the text, what makes them exiles? What makes them strange? It's not their ethnicity. It is not their family or or place of origin. It is not their preferences in clothes or entertainment or food. It is not their socioeconomic status. It's verse 2. Verse 2 is what makes them exiles, what makes them strange. They are elect according to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are exiles according to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are strange because they have been chosen. It's the way the grammar of those verses work. It's also the way that God works throughout history. Think about Abraham, a great ancestor of the Old Testament people of God. God chooses him, right? He elects him. He says, you're going to be mine. Your people will be mine. And what immediately happens to Abraham? he becomes an exile. When God chooses him, he has to leave his father's house, which would have been a radical step in that culture. He has to leave his father's house and he spends his years, his days, wandering. The book of Hebrews tells us looking for an eternal city. When God elects you, he makes you an exile. When he chooses you, he makes you strange. Why? Because to belong to God, to belong to his purpose, to belong to his will, 
will inevitably create friction in a world that has rejected and attempted to replace him. To belong to him is going to create friction in a world that has rejected and attempted to replace him. One of my favorite quotes, I've used it before and I'll probably use it again. It comes from Flannery O'Connor who says, who wrote, You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you odd. (laughs) With this text, I think we could tweak it and say, The truth shall know you and the truth shall make you odd. Think about what I've already said. I've said that our identity as Christians is defined by the fact that we are chosen. That sounds incredibly odd in a culture that wants to define us not by being chosen, but by having choices. Right? Haven't we as a culture elevated options to a transcendent value? That's why I called my wife desperate from Publix last week. My simple mission was to purchase toilet paper. (laughs) And there are an incredible amount of options when it comes to purchasing toilet paper. And I was completely overwhelmed and had to call her and say, I don't know, I don't know what to buy, tell me what to buy. (laughs) We have elevated having options to a transcendent value and we are very suspicious of anything or anyone that would limit our right to choose our right to have options, anything that would limit our choices. But what do we profess as Christians? That God's choice must shape and ultimately limit our choice. Understand that our culture will hear that as very, very strange. It will create friction for us if we profess and live out that truth. What do we do with that friction? Well, that's what Peter wants to talk to us about. So I'm not going to answer that question this morning. We'll spend the next few weeks exploring what Peter has to say about how we live in that friction. But I mention it just to say This is your mail. This is a letter for us. It is a letter that reminds us that we are chosen. We are desired. We are beloved in Jesus. And it is a letter that helps us know how to live when that makes us strange. When God's making us His own makes us strange Peter speaks and helps us to know how to live in that tension. This is your mail. This is a message for you. And so that's my pitch. That's my invitation to you to join us over the next eight weeks or so as we consider these words. This letter is a gift that was intended for us. It was intended for you, if you are in Jesus, because we are elect exiles. We are chosen and strange.
Let's pray.